Hello, and thank you for joining us on Healing From Within. I am your host, Cheryl Glick, author of The Living Spirit, and my new book, out February 7th, 2020, A New Life Awaits, Spirit-Guided Insights to Support Global Awakening, which shares stories of our intuitive spiritual path to know life in its soul and also physical potential so we may evolve and in so doing create our best healthy lives and also improve uh, the collective consciousness and the planet. Today I welcome Dr. Dana Lee Bagley, author of Healthy Habits Suck, who will begin to offer us a plan to regenerate our energy and health. And it's a new year and a new way to value ourselves Every morning when I get up, I say I am in a fit and healthy body, and let's go out and have a good day. <laughs> so after this mm-hmm. show today, you will know how to do that. Hello, Dr. Bagley, and thank you for joining us on Healing From Within. Thank you. Um, and it's Dr. Lee Bagley. Dana, as listeners of Healing From Within are well aware, my guests and I seek ways to know our dual nature as both spiritual beings having a physical life and uh, to find and discover ways to appreciate life, perceive things in a clearer, more purposeful way, and conquer fears so we can create health and prosperity as well as happiness. In today's episode of Healing from Within, Dr. Dana Lee Bagley will show us ways to be healthy and to overcome our instincts, which often encourage us to take the easy way to find pleasure. We will learn some good reasons for wanting to be healthier, eating better, and also get an overall view of global health and the challenges we are all facing. Dana, I always love to ask my guests to think back to their childhood and remember a person, a place, an event, something that may have shown them the work and lifestyle they might pursue as an adult, because I believe we are born with a life plan or destiny to remember our soul presence and refine our soul energy and perhaps rethink choices we may have made before this lifetime and to improve relationships and simply grow with greater love and compassion. So we've chosen many of the experiences, work and people will be involved with and nothing is really random. So think back for a minute. Something that was important to you once upon a time. Uh, well, I can remember an incident um, in high school that I think really kind of paved the way for what I would end up doing as a career, which is that I had a friend in high school whose mother passed away from cancer. And um, that was kind of a first for all of us. None of us had really ever been faced with death at that age. We were fortunate. Um, and I remember he called me when she actually passed away, and, and he said, um, he's like, you were the first person I thought to call like I don't know what to do and I ended up going over to his house and I just held his hand and we didn't really say anything um, we didn't really do anything I was just sort of um, there for him and that really actually became a model for how I approach a lot of things which is that there was nothing abnormal about um, the sadness and grief that he was feeling that's exactly what he should be feeling and that when we do that and share that with other humans that that makes it more bearable um, and so that's a, a big part of my approach is to um, help people not feel alone in mm. the struggles that they have because sometimes we can't change the struggles. No, 
We cannot. The events will happen. It's how we decide and choose to work with experiences. Really nothing is good or bad. It's just experience and how we, uh, the perceptions we develop as a result. You did a wonderful thing for that young man. You were young yourself. You hadn't been exposed to too much. You know, when I was in junior high school, I sat next to a boy, and he was always there. And one day he didn't show up. And later I found that he had been killed in an accident. But I couldn't get past the feeling that he was still around me, and mm-hmm. that and that he was okay, and 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 he was still the same exact mischievous soul, mm-hmm. you know, person that I knew. Now I didn't mm-hmm. know then. I didn't have this understanding of death. I I did hospice work for eight years to help people know there really is no death. There is just transition transitioning of energy. We are souls mm-hmm. having this physical life, but I didn't know that then. Yeah, I knew yeah. it on some subconscious level, but I didn't know it as I can discuss it today with you. So right. we still need to observe this life we have, even though we will survive it. Something consciousness survives physical death, and we will be the souls carrying more and more experiences throughout time. But but we still have to make this life the best we can. We have to treat each other and ourselves with great care and kindness and be as healthy as we can. So how healthy are North Americans, in your view? I have some statistics here which are quite staggering. Tell us, how healthy are North Americans, in your view? Well, on average, North Americans are not that healthy. Um, Most people have some form of a chronic disease, and Mm -hmm. in part, that's um, not necessarily people's faults, quote-unquote. Our environment is not at all conducive to making healthy choices, and we have a lot of environmental factors that lead us to um, choose unhealthy options. Uh, And, you know, uh, as I review in the book, that really a lot of our bodily systems were not meant to live for as long as we live for. So there is some natural wear and tear that happens and bodies start to break down and we have to be quite mindful and purposeful in taking care of them uh, to um, have good quality of life as we age. Right. And you also say that Americans are near the bottom in nine key levels of health, including low birth weight, injuries, homicides, teen pregnancy, sexually transmitted infections, HIV and AIDS, drug-related deaths, obesity and diabetes, heart disease, chronic lung disease, and general disability. Now, also, the United States ranks last in health and mortality analysis of 17 developed countries, nations. I was horrified when I heard that. I was really tremendously horrified. Our government spends so much money on research and systems that are obviously not doing enough to help the population. And you talk about the GMO myths and truths. So tell us something about that. Um, yeah, so I would say in general, there are, are a lot of ways that, um, you know, our society makes us unhealthy. And so there's a lot of aspects to our lives that, again, do not support um, healthy choices. A really simple example of that is that when, you know, when I go watch my kids play sports at an arena, the food that is available to me typically are deep fried foods. 
There mm. is very rarely any fruits or vegetables available for me to purchase at an athletic facility. And so these, you know, therefore limit our choices. We're much more likely to eat French fries if that's the only thing that's available on the menu. So um, in the same way that at one point in history, we made a decision about, from a public policy around smoking and making rules about where people could smoke and those kinds of things, that resulted in a dramatic decrease in smoking and in deaths due to smoking. And so, you know, we really have to have other policies like that that um, impact not just the individual making their choices, but the environment that um, forces us to make certain choices to really make an impact on people's health. Well, I hear every day I meet someone else who's becoming vegan or vegetarian, and I go to places and people are bringing, like if they go to an event, They'll bring their own food, fruits and vegetables, whatever snacks they want that are healthy. So people are, many people are becoming aware of how important it is. And I guess that's why you wrote this book and you titled it as you did. It is hard to make changes when you're in a fast-moving society uh, like we are in now. And uh, many people... Women are working, they have families. Uh, there's just so much going on with social media, technology. Uh, so we have to slow down and we have to take the time uh, to value what we put into our bodies and into our minds, the thoughts, because our thoughts are creating either a healthy or not healthy environment. So we have to uh, work on that too, the thinking. Now, you, we also know that being sedentary that's why, I mean, you, you say you exercise, you know it's good for you. You don't necessarily love it as much as some other people, but you manage to do it. So tell us something yeah. about exercise and some of the other things that are necessary to make us healthy, aside from the food. Yeah, so there's lots of really good evidence that exercise makes you healthier. It, it um, you know, is a preventative factor for all kinds of different ailments, including things like diabetes and various different cancers and Alzheimer's. And so all of um, there's a lot of things that are improved when we exercise regularly. Um, and as you described, I am not someone who naturally enjoys exercise. And so it's a common kind of um, recommendation for people to say, you know, find an exercise that you enjoy. And my, you know, comment on this is that it's actually okay to hate the exercise itself as long as you find some other reason for doing it. Um, either some other reason that's important to you about how you want to show up in the world or to link it to something else that's important to you. So, for example, I go to a boot camp um, where that's, you know, in a class format. And so it ends up being actually like a social opportunity for me um, to visit with other people. And I appreciate feeling strong. And so those then become sort of better reasons that you will keep it going um, rather than just doing it for health or just doing it for weight. Yes, it has to be something that you find uh, some value and friendship and being with other people. We're social animals. We certainly need that component. I did uh, yoga for about seven years as I was developing my intuitive mediumship skills. I was told that I needed to do this, and I paid attention and I was in the best shape I was ever in. I had not been very athletic before, and just the stretching, the time for my yep. body to know itself, to feel the energy move through itself, uh, was so so invigorating and 
at the same time relaxing for me. Walking yep. for and me. meditation, you know, and yeah. mindfulness are also very similar to exercise that we know that they help in all kinds of health conditions and all, you know, exercise and um, meditation or mindfulness have been shown to help things like anxiety and depression as well. So we know that if people are doing these things, they do make them healthier and they do improve people's quality of life and that it's okay to find those things difficult and to not inherently enjoy them in and of themselves, but to do it anyway, because it matters to you, you know, to show up as the parent you want to be or the employee you want to be or the boss you want to be and that being healthier will actually help you do those things exactly and as an energy practitioner i encourage people to try many different forms of any energy treatments it could be a chiropractic massage reiki polarity healing cranial sacral they all help you to get your to know your body better and to be able to sense what you need improvement in in your body and again meditation and uh, yoga there are other um, movement exercises uh, that are very good for you and simply walking if you do nothing else take a 10 minute walk during your work day and then a little while later, take another 10-minute walk. A little bit is better than nothing. Now, yep, let's get... absolutely. My doctor always told me that. She's always, mm-hmm. on, she's always yep. on my case right. to get me going. <laughs> and I, yeah. I do try to listen to her. What do you think are some good reasons and maybe bad reasons for wanting to be healthy? Now, there are 10 top reasons to be healthy. One of them, the first one, is to feel young and energetic. Not to feel tired, worn out, weak. Mm-hmm. That's one. Tell us some others. Well, what I like to, you know, um, explore with people is that how will help being healthier help you do the things that matter to you? Um, how will it help you show up as the person you want to be? And that might be like somebody who's creative, you know, and that when you are feeling healthier, you're more creative. It might be about being adventuresome. It might be about um, being more honest. It might be about being more social. Um, it might be about being a more engaged parent or a high-performing person. So to think more about what's important to you about how you show up in the world and who you want to be and how does being healthier help you do that? How does having more energy, being more clear-minded, how does that help you show up as the person you want to be rather than just doing it for health? So we often stop and say, you know, I'm going to do this so I can be healthy. But why does being healthy matter? What are you going to do with that extra health? What are you going to do with that extra energy? When you can answer that question, then you're much more likely to identify something that's like deeply meaningful and personal to you that could sustain your change in the long term. And that's really the challenge here is that most people can do most things for a short period of time. But to be, you know, healthy, we have to keep doing these things in the long term in a sustained way. And that's really the challenge. And so we're trying to find motivators that will keep us going in the long term. And some of those things about wanting to be creative or be a high-performing person or being an engaged parent are things that we want to keep doing um, regardless of, you know, what the scale well, says. Well, I will say this. Even though they say that uh, Americans are not living as long as some people in other countries, they still are living a long time. And we want to be able to play with children, grandchildren. We want to travel. We want to be free of pain and injury. And we want to ward off disease. So it, it, there are so many positive things that come out of just making small changes maybe not huge changes start with small changes now i read that if you're overweight 
losing just 5 to 10% of your body weight can positively affect your health. That's not very much. 10% of 150 pounds is 15 pounds. That's, yep. and that's not very a ton. Good yep. Absolutely. There's very good evidence that just losing 5 to 10% of your body weight will result in um, health benefits. Um, uh, it's very clear evidence. And so it doesn't require a lot. People often want to lose a lot more weight than that. Um, and you don't need to lose that much weight to get the health benefits. All right. Now, there are ways to be healthy. Let's think in terms of number one. First, let's think positive. Focus on gratitude. Being grateful for who we are, who's around us, our work, where we live, whatever. Whatever makes you feel grateful to be alive and happy to have your life shows a healthy, positive attitude, and that builds a healthier immune system. Just something like saying something good to yourself every day. Maybe more than once a day. Maybe a lot of times a day. And then there's, of course, the doctor's going to say, eat your vegetables, set a five-meal idea, exercise daily, get a good night's sleep, and check your food tood. What do you think that means, check your food tood? Um, Well, so, you know, I think there's lots of, um, you know, a lot of books will tell you, and there's lots of resources on what you should do to be healthy, and you've named quite a few Um, My book really focuses on how to do it, um, how to get started and how to keep doing it. So I think that's what makes it somewhat different than other books is it doesn't focus that much on what to do, but how to do it and how to keep doing it. All right. So uh, we're going to say, is this book for the individual who eats right and is passionate about exercise? I don't think so. No, because they're probably already doing it. Right. right. So uh, if they're already off exercising and watching, um, you know, eating healthy foods. So, you know, it's really meant for people who don't enjoy exercise and who hate vegetables, which is definitely um, <laughs> how I show up. I don't like either of those things. And it's about finding reasons to do them even when so, they suck and even when you don't enjoy them. All right. Them. So you don't, you don't like vegetables. I'm not wild about them. I've gotten a little bitter about it. But so what do you eat? What do you find? It helps you maintain weight and uh, le- energy level. Uh, what are you able to? Yeah. So with? I think a lot about rather than like monitoring my weight, which is an outcome that's influenced by a lot of different factors, many of which I don't have control over. So I think more about like my behaviors and like whether I'm following healthy habits. And around um, eating, I, it's often more so I can be clear-headed and I can show up as the person that I want to be and stay focused and stay engaged and stay productive um, because that sort of uh, what, I, what fuel I end up putting in my body does impact how well I function. And so that um, tends to be more motivating for me um, than, you know, thinking about how many calories I'm eating and whether that's going to make me lose weight or not. That's, you know, the kind of thing you can well, do for a little while, but often it's hard yeah. to keep doing that in the long term. Well, we know if we eat a balanced diet and uh, smaller portions and perhaps three to five small, smaller meals, keeping the metabolism going, that that's all going to work. But what I'm asking you is generally how, how, how do you eat? What do you eat? Uh, so I, ten- I tend to have to drink my vegetables, so I drink a lot of green smoothies because I really don't enjoy vegetables that much. So, okay, that's, that's... Uh, I tend to, yep, I drink my vegetables, and, um, you know, there's lots of um, common recommendations. Uh, there's no one diet that's best for losing weight. It's really about the diet that you're willing to keep doing 
forever because that's what you'll need to do to keep the weight off. And it's really different for different people and different bodies. You know, in general, things like fruits and vegetables, whole foods, protein, um, fiber, those are all things that we know in general um, help people be healthier. Yes, I'm trying to do more and more of that because I'm surrounded by everybody else who's doing it. So Right. You well, know, that's helpful we if are, you have an environment that's right. supportive. Right? We are social Absolutely. creatures, and we, do, we don't want to be the outsider. It's okay to be a yeah. little different, but, but we want to do what's right for ourselves and for others. Now, I know you can build your plate around healthy choices, as you just said. You can stay hydrated. You could limit alcohol intake, avoid or quit um, tobacco. We mm-hmm. know we know walking more, and you know even washing your hands is an important process for being healthy and keeping you moving. You're gonna feel better if you wash your hands, right? And know you're just fitting into the environment in a healthy way for everybody else. And of course, we know you should see your primary care physician. Once a year or twice a year, so that you can check out how everything's going and make whatever changes you need to. So, why do you call what we should be doing health behaviors? And you say they are abnormal for exercise and eating. Yeah, so we talk about it as health behaviors in part because, um, you know, one of the ways to set better goals is to focus on behavior rather than outcomes. So outcomes are things like weight or blood pressure or whether you get a job. They're things that um, are influenced by a lot of different factors. Um, weight itself is influenced by a huge number of factors, many of which we don't control. So things like genetics. Yes. Um, how much stress you have, how hydrated you are, what um, the walkability score of your neighborhood. I mean, all of these things influence um, whether, you know, our weight, and we don't control many of those things. And so rather than focusing on an outcome that you don't have control over, we um, encourage focusing on a behavior that you do have control over, um, at least more control over. So a behavior is something that someone else can see you do. So going to the gym is a behavior. Someone can see you do it. They could check off that it happened. Whether you enjoy being at the gym isn't a behavior. Whether you felt motivated to go to the gym isn't a behavior. It's the actual act of putting one foot in front of the other and showing up at the gym that um, is the behavior that we have a lot more control over. And that's because behavior can, can be controlled by a different part of our brain. So we have different parts of our brains that influence us, and one is what I refer to as the caveman brain. And it was very uh, effective when we were cavemen. It controls things like uh, learning memory, emotions, appetite regulation, uh, and it's part of our survival brain. And so it functions automatically, and it gives us fantastic recommendations if we were cave people, but not necessarily good recommendations for our modern world. Behavior, on the other hand, is controlled by our frontal lobe, um, and that is a part of our brain that does executive functions, and that's things like starting behavior, stopping behavior, planning, delaying gratification, And because behavior is controlled by a different part of our brain that we have to actively, consciously turn on, we can control our behavior more than we can control our thoughts or feelings. And so by focusing on behaviors, we're much more likely to feel successful because we're focusing on something that we have more control over. Good. Okay. Now, how does your brain react to fatty, sugary, salty foods? We were just talking about the brain. And yeah, so our caveman, it, yeah. yeah. Tell our us caveman about that. Brain is, yeah, our caveman brain is hardwired to um, light up, to 
to be quite excited with fatty, sugary, and salty foods, and that's because when we were case people, those foods were um, rare, and so it was harder to get those foods. And so our um, minds had to and bodies had to motivate us to seek those out and to eat as much of them as possible when they were available. And so we're hardwired to enjoy those things. And, and, you know, the only mismatch is that we live in an environment nowadays where you can have, you know, half or a full day's worth of calories in a single Starbucks cup or a Big Mac meal. And so it's just a mismatch between what our, you know, brains were, um, have evolved for compared to what our modern world is like. Uh, and we're faced with an environment where food companies have spent billions of dollars to make the food taste better. And so it's also, you know, part of the message in the book is to be kind to ourselves because it really is hard and this isn't an easy thing to do. Uh, and when we can be kind to ourselves, we're much more likely to stick with it and to keep going. I like that. Kindness is the key. Don't be so yeah. hard on yourself. Little steps. Now, how can we override instincts? Because we all all creatures of habit or instinct and how can we override instincts in order to live a healthier life yep and the way we do that is because those instinctive responses are coming from your caveman survival brain they're giving you great advice if you were a cave person just not great advice for our modern world and so it's really about recognizing when that messaging has shown up and in, you know, a mindful way of noticing your thoughts, noticing your feelings, it's not about um, paying less attention to them or pretending they're not there. It's actually about recognizing, noticing, embracing your thoughts and feelings and recognizing that they don't have to be in charge of you and that you have control over your behavior, again, because it's um, controlled by a different part of your brain. And so you can actively choose your behavior um, even when your caveman mind is suggesting one thing. You can do the opposite. You don't have to do what your caveman mind is suggesting. So you can thank your caveman mind very much for sharing um, <laughs> I like and that. choose yeah. to do something else. I yeah. like that. Choose I like that. Option. Because at the heart of fight or flight are the big three crisis reactions, fear, gloom, and panic. And we need to fight that all the time, too. It is also a behavior uh, situation that can be managed with change. Yeah, fight or behaviors. flight is like fight or flight is a fantastic, very necessary human response when we were right. cave people, right? If you are faced with a bear, you totally <laughs> should respond with fight or flight. That is absolutely appropriate. However, that same fight or flight response will go off when you're stuck in traffic. Uh, because our brains don't haven't, you know, that part of our brain doesn't adjust. It doesn't recognize that sitting, getting stuck in traffic isn't actually the same threat as a bear that's going to attack you. But it, our brain, our survival brain responds the same way. It just says, this is a threat, and so let me do this for you. Let me help you out. And that's really the way that we can relate to our caveman brain is that it's trying really hard to keep us safe. It's giving us great advice if we were cave people. Uh, it just may not be good advice for our modern world. And so we can thank our caveman mind very much for sharing, but we don't have to do what it's telling us to do. I like that. We're going to modify and make it effective in this time and place. I want to thank you, Dr. Dana Lee Bagley, who exercises regularly and really enjoys it, but recognizes that it is a choice she has made to be as active as possible in doing what ultimately is recognized as best for conquering many of the illnesses of modern-day life. To read more about finding ways to encourage yourself to participate in life activities and behaviors that provide the best benefit a chance to live with health and vitality, go to Dr. Dana Lee Bagley dot com and read her book. 
In summarizing today's episode, Appealing from Within, we have discussed a topic which is important to all citizens, young or old. Ways to learn more about our bodies, our brain, the nutrients, supplements, foods, activities, and energy work, behaviors, and all ways that provide a way to maximize the proper functioning of our mind, body, and spirit so we may enjoy our physical life, avoiding some of the pains and health issues that a poor quality of life decisions ultimately create for us. It is in finding a plan that is unique and specialized for you and in some way satisfying to your growing concept of self, both as a spiritual and physical being, that you will be able to incorporate healthy habits slowly over time so they can become part of your daily routine, much like waking and sleeping, eating and exercising, loving and learning, all part of the human life experience. Dana and I would have you remember the way you were as a child. You ate when you were hungry, and you ate what appealed to your senses as your body allowed you to select what you needed to exist. You played, read, and engaged with others, exploring your relationship to all things. Start to do that now as an adult. Slow down. Pay attention. Act in moderation to all emotions and instincts, and you will find you will be able to create what you need to balance and find a healthy way of life. I am Cheryl Glick, host of Healing From Within, and I invite you to visit my website, CherylGlick.com. To read about and listen to authors, visionaries, soul seekers, and those who help to challenge life as it is so we can create life in its most wondrous aspects as we evolve and humanity rises to its highest level and greets each day with care. Shows can also be heard on webtalkradio.net and dreamvision7radio.com. Thank you for listening.